Today is Thursday, February 15th, 2024. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. A shooting breaks out at the Kansas City Chiefs victory parade, leaving a mom of two dead. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast, where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating. Send us your thoughts. Quick Start Podcast at CBN. Org. Joining me to get through the news of the crate today is Billy Hallowell and Trey Goins Phillips. We got a lot to get to, including the shooting where police still haven't given an identity or a motive on the shooters, but we do know more about the heroes involved and the victim who is a mother of two. Focus story today a new video, very interesting, shed some light, guys, on when exactly Disney decided to get into the politics. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's kind of, we all saw the writing on the wall. So it's interesting to see maybe where some of it got its start. So we'll dive into that. Looking forward to that. Also on the main thing, what's happened at Eagle Pass, Texas, since Governor Abbott's actions to send the National Guard to the border? We've got the details on that and more on the main thing with CBN's Paul Petit. So we'll get to that. Don't forget to subscribe. If you haven't already, to DC Debrief and Newsmakers, also CBN News Podcasts, where you get the roundup in DC for the week. That's Friday episode, once a week. And then Newsmakers, one interview a day that Billy has, full-length interview. Check that out. Make sure you subscribe. We'd love to have you there for those as well. All right, housekeeping done. Let's get to the news in 90 seconds. A shooting marred the Chiefs' victory parade yesterday as the celebration concluded. Shots rang out, wounding 20 and killing at least one person. Fans could be seen on video running for safety as shots rang out. Now we know the identity of the victim. Lisa Lopez Galvin died during surgery at a local hospital for a gunshot wound to her abdomen. That's according to loved ones to the Kansas City Star. She worked as a disc jockey for a community radio station, KKFI. She was in her mid-40s, married, and a mother of two. Police have still, however, not released any information on the identity of the shooters, but they did report that they have taken three people into custody. Several Chiefs fans are being hailed as heroes for tackling one of the suspects as he tried to flee the scene. Several players, including Chiefs Patrick Mahomes, offered their prayers and condolences to this shocking turn of events. The U.S. House of Representatives has impeached Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas over the Biden administration's handling of the southern border. His fate now rests in the hands of the Democrat-controlled U.S. Senate, where a two-thirds vote is required to remove him from office. Negotiators meeting in Egypt have failed to reach a deal for the release of the remaining hostages in Gaza. The stalemate comes as tensions in the region continue to increase. The Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, says the U.S. is working with Egypt and Qatar and has met with the hostages' families. They said the agony that they face simply not knowing, not knowing the fate of their loved ones is beyond our imaginations. And new data shows the Consumer Price Index, or CPI, rose 3.1% over the past 12 months. It was a higher jump than anticipated. The administration is trying to spin the economic situation of the country positively, Biden arguing, we're making real progress. 
But Joel Griffith, a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation, told CBN News the numbers they're offering are very misleading. He says that the average consumer has added 4000 per family to their credit card balances and have drained close to 80% of their savings. Those are just some of today's top headlines. Check out more stories over at CBNNews.com. A lot happening, guys. This economic situation is very interesting to watch the narratives play out. You see the administration, Corinne Jean-Pierre, in the press conferences trying to tout things that might seem positive on the economic side of things. As the Heritage Foundation there was telling CBN News, you have people adding to their credit cards. They're wiping out a lot of their savings. And he said, these inflation numbers don't even fully account for the fact that home ownership has been driven out of reach. Those numbers estimate what it costs to rent. If you're looking to buy a home, the numbers are even worse. And I, I wonder, and we keep saying this on the podcast whenever the economic stuff comes up, guys, when the election comes around, whichever way you're going, um, it, this issue is going to be of just extreme importance in who communicates better to the American people accurately what they're feeling. Because as we've talked about, you can't miss it. You can't, I mean, we're having to look, one of my cars is really old. We're looking at switching out cars and, you know, the interest rates on a loan, the price of the cars, it's crazy. It's crazy out there. So I, there's just no avoiding this. So it'll be interesting to see how the candidates communicate that message to voters. Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost offensive to keep pretending that this stuff isn't happening, yep. that people aren't suffering. I mean, I just had a $550 electric bill in my townhouse, right? So I mean, people are experiencing this in a way that I think talking points are not going to alleviate because the pain is so severe. And so I almost think denying it is almost a slap in the face to voters, regardless of what side you're on. I think everybody's feeling the same pressure and pain. Yeah. I don't know if denying it is the way to Go, but I, that seems to be the route that this White House is taking. I, but yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's just not going to resonate with people. But it'll be interesting to see how much of an impact it ultimately has if it's what we expect it to be: Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. Is are people willing to stomach Donald Trump, knowing that most likely, if we're going to have a repeat of his first term? You may not like a bunch of things about him, but the economy will be good. Like it was pre-COVID, it was really, really good. That was one of his his uh, strong suits was the economy. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what ultimately happens. I think at the end of the day, more often than not, people are voting with their pocketbook, and they're also voting when they go into the booth based on how much money they have in their yeah. wallets and in their pocketbooks. Yeah, and if voters buy the message that the economy is this sort of out of control monster that you have no control over. Now, a, a president can't just press a button and make it all better, but they can certainly do things that harm or help the economy. And a lot of these environmental policies definitely hamper. And there's been an outward disdain by many people on the progressive left for the oil industry. And like it or not, that's just how a lot of this country functions is based on oil and so when the prices of that goes up, the price of everything goes up because trucks have to drive around, things have to get shipped, planes have to fly places, boats have to go places, shipping things, and then that all trickles down to the consumer, us, who are buying things. So uh, it'll be, as we said, definitely interesting to see how that plays out. Look, I, for one, am praying that the economy just gets better because 
it's frustrating going to the grocery store and spending double or triple what you normally spend. And I'm, I would assume that the average person is feeling the same thing as well. So hopefully uh, we can get just some respite on that, regardless of whatever the political ramifications of that might be. So, all right. There, I mean, a lot to consider on the political front. We'll be all over that on CBNnews.com. Make sure you stay tuned there to catch all the latest on where things are going and uh, all the latest polls, et cetera, et cetera, over at CBNnews.com. All right, we're going to go to the focus story now. Disney's taken a lot of flack for its shift into politics. Now there is new info out there that might explain where some of this came from when it started. So what do we got? Yeah. Yeah, so it seems like, based on a new video that was shared by Christopher Rufo, he's a conservative activist who's kind of been on this Disney beat now for a few years, uh, a lot of their drift to the left can be traced back, according to this video of Bob Iger, who was at the time the uh, acting chairman of the board for the Walt Disney Company. Uh, it was right at the Capitol Hill riot on January 6, 2021. They were in some meeting of some kind. You can go over to faithwire.com, cbnnews.com, and you can see our story. We have the video. It's about two minutes long embedded uh, in the story. Uh, but Rufo tweeted out this video of uh, Iger in what appears to be some sort of virtual board meeting or executive meeting of some kind. Uh, and he says that that's the exact moment that the company decided to become political just days after the January 6, 2021 riot in the White House. Uh, Rufo wrote, in January 2021, then-Disney chairman Bob Iger told employees he was committing the company to, quote, taking a stand on politics because of January 6. Then he praised himself for making Black Panther, which he said was an example of diversity and inclusion. Uh, so Iger, at the time, uh, he said that Disney has, quote, shied away from politics. And in doing so, I think we've shied away from talking about issues that aren't political at all. Uh, that's just a portion of what he said in the roughly two-minute video. He said, because we believe in doing so, maybe it looks like we are taking a stand. But in that reality, we should be taking a stand, saying we should be talking about things that are political. Though Iger says that speaking out against uh, the riot was not political. But that kind of marks the genesis of when they decided to start really leaning into a lot of these cultural issues. And he said, by the way, I take responsibility for this. I was CEO for 15 years, so I manage the company's public-facing processes and how we are portraying ourselves. Uh, so he said it's not political to talk about the January 6th riot, but then from that point forward, that's kind of when we... when It's like the, the line of demarcation when Disney then started leaning very heavily into a whole lot of issues, including mm -hmm. politics, but also including sexuality and, and transgenderism. All of these issues kind of started flooding into a bunch of Disney content. And Rufo is saying that much of it can be uh, traced back to this decision by Bob Iger, then the chairman of the board at Disney, now once again the CEO of Disney, uh, his comments on uh, about January 6th is kind of the, the starting point for a lot mm. of this political activism from Disney. Yeah, and then you started to see some other videos get leaked of like Disney employees who were saying yeah. things that they were trying to inject into Disney content. Do you have any more context on these remarks or and, and the policies that we've seen? 
Well, like you said, there were, you know, from that point forward, it, we have videos that we've we've written about this extensively at CBN from 2022, from 2023, uh, different uh, executives within Disney saying that we are going to take a, a, sta- a strong stance, especially on LGBTQ issues. Uh, it's so it, it's it's not like Disney has been hiding this at all. Yeah. But we reported on an analysis last year that showed Disney has lost some $900 million, close to a billion dollars uh, in box office failure after box office failure. Much of it has been tied, seemingly it seems, uh, to a lot of leftist storylines, especially ones that have been woven into movies, animated movies that are targeted toward children. And then also even further back than that, we talked about how Bob Chapek, who was the president of Disney prior to Bob Iger being president once again of Disney, uh, went after Florida for their what was mischaracterized as the don't say gay bill that ended up obviously being a huge issue there in Florida. So Disney is, has really carved themselves a nice track record of taking really, really strong stances, leftist stances on a lot of social and political issues. So it's, it's not surprising to see uh, that a lot of it can be traced back to the January 26th date uh, because so much of the entertainment industry, Hollywood has been obsessed with, Donald Trump. And I think a lot of it is connected there, right? It, it started that there and it's just heated up more and more and more and more. And Disney, what's fascinating to me is that they're, they're willing to keep losing tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars to take these hardline stances on issues uh, like injecting LGBT storylines into movies for children. Yeah. And, you know, what this does to the audience, especially when you see it explicitly stated from the head of the company, what the objective is, what the mission now is, how they want to be doing these things. So now now these suspicions, you know, when you first started seeing this content, you just people maybe thought, well, maybe you just have some people with some views and it's kind of snuck in there. But over time, we see and you get confirmation that, nope, this is very intentional. This is exactly what we think our mission is now. And so what it does is, to your point about them losing millions and billions of dollars, is anybody watching a Disney show now is going to be on high alert for the propaganda. Where do they put it? Where did they sneak it in? And gone are the days when you could just watch an innocent flick like Cars and just enjoy Lightning McQueen driving around and trying to make some friends and learning the value of being a good friend and not being arrogant, yada, yada, yada. You just you can't innocently just sit down in front of a Disney flick because you might you're waiting for it. It's part of their mission now. You you would be silly not to assume that there's going to be some propaganda in this. And and it's really a shame because they've gone fully committed to and that look, this is their right, I suppose. I don't know if Walt Disney would be thrilled about this, but this direction, (laughs) but. This is those who are running the company. If this is the way they want to choose, then that's their prerogative. But they're certainly going to alienate a large chunk of their audience. Well, I, I, yeah, that's obvious. In 2021, this is uh, 77% of Americans polled uh, had a favorable view of Disney. And then in 2022, so this is around the, you know, just several months after Bob Iger made this 
his stance clear on political things for for Disney. Uh, So several months later, about a year later, NBC News commissioned a similar survey that found only 33% of Americans had a somewhat or very positive view of the Walt Disney Company. So just Mm. in one year, see how much the the favorable view of Disney plummeted. Uh, And a lot of it very clearly, I think, is, is tied to the political activism that Disney's decided to take. Yeah, it's really it, it's really sad to sort of watch this brand because what Disney had is so rare. You know, there's a few brands yeah. that have it, McDonald's, Disney, you know, these brands that have become bigger than life and they're big all over the world and people part of trust America. them. It's like part of American right. heritage. It's like baseball, right? It's just something you do. You go to Disney, you watch a Disney movie and it's part right. of growing up. It's part of your life. To obliterate that over some political perspective to me it shows how out of touch these people are but but also man you just those things come once in in a million years those kinds of opportunities to build a brand like that so it's really just sad yeah it really is and uh like i said hard pressed to think that uh, walt disney would be thrilled about this if he were able to look down on this and see what's happening and his legacy and what he Mm. started um so but certainly certainly interesting at least as consumers, as Christians, I know I take extreme caution and I vigorously review any movie that I'm going to watch with my kids. And Disney's now on that list. You know, I know Cars yeah. is safe. I've watched that. My eight-year-old has <laughs> loves that thing. We've watched it about a hundred times. But uh, and that movie's great. But th- but those days are gone. You can't you can't take it for granted. What's going to be in or or not in these these uh, Disney movies anymore? But I'm sure we'll stay on it, Trey, as we see as we see updates down the road. So I appreciate you bringing that update on the podcast today. Uh, We are going to move over to the main thing now. And Eagle Pass, Texas, was kind of the epicenter of the border surge that was happening a few weeks ago. Then Governor Abbott jumped into action, sent National Guard down there. And then something changed. There was a big change in, in what was going on there at the border. CBN's Paul Petit was there. He was there for the... Uh, convoy rally. He uh, has been reporting on the border extensively, and he joined me recently to talk about all things border. This is a portion of our conversation is today's main thing. Paul, at Eagle Pass, which has sort of been the epicenter here, we're starting to see crossings go down there sharply in recent weeks here. What's going on? Why is that happening? Uh, yeah, Dan, uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, they're going down remarkably. As a matter of fact, I was looking at a number today, a CBS News article was talking about from around 3,000 to like a couple of dozen. So obviously we know what has happened with uh, Governor Abbott and how he stepped in and decided, okay, we're going to secure the border and do whatever we can. That, of course, was challenged by the Department of Justice that they can, in fact, cut that razor wire. But the bottom line here is they continue to put up razor wire allowing the federal agents to cut through it, but just keep putting up more. So kind of a little bit of a race. Evidently, it's doing something. And what I and what I read is a lot of the Texas crossings now have moved to Arizona and to California. There's a lot of communication going on on the other side of the border, it appears. Mm. They know exactly where to go, where not to go. So these recent numbers are pretty astounding as to the amount of people that are now using Arizona and California gateways to get in. So it's changed dramatically here in just the last few weeks. We're seeing this spread out. A couple of things you saw that that I saw on your feed that was quite interesting. Number one, in I think it was Oklahoma, there was at a truck stop, a fentanyl 
vending machine, not for the drug, but for the test strips in case someone, I mean, to think about that, to wrap your mind around that, why that would even need to be there in the first place. Hey, let's put a vending machine here. That just shows you how bad the problem has really gotten. That's exactly what I thought when I saw it. I'd almost do a double take. I mean, literally it's next to one of those little vending machines with the claw that you play with. And there it is, the you know fentanyl Narcan test strip vending machine. And it's along the I-40 corridor, which of course goes straight across east to west, uh, across Oklahoma, and that obviously connects to Arizona, as well as Arkansas, and the da 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 literally the coast. So here's this vending machine, which again, <laughs> speaks to exactly what you're talking about. Obviously, you don't put a vending machine where there's no need or where there's no customers. So these test strips apparently, A, from what I read, uh, are right there on the vending machine, tell you if uh, that person is, in fact, under the influence of B, there's uh, Narcan there, which, of course, uh, counters any sort of an overdose. So we know that this is usually relegated to emergency crews, first responders, in case there is an overdose. Well, now any, anybody could basically dispense this. Really, is that prevalent? And we do know, unmistakable, that the fentanyl, talking to law enforcement throughout the border, as well as national, down to the local level, fentanyl is pouring into this country at rates that, what I've heard, could kill somebody at, uh, I mean, everybody in this planet, literally, there's that much going around and it continues to come through because it's so simple to cross the border. So seeing that yeah. machine is certainly an eye opener. Yeah, it really is. And, and look, I mean, it's just common sense to know that, look, a lot of these people are just looking for a better life. They're probably good people. They're probably fine. But just the sheer numbers of it, you see that you're going to have, I mean, gangs are going to be looking at this terrorists are going to be looking at the ease of which you can get into the country right now and sense an opportunity. It's just basic logic, common sense. And so not having that situation takes taken care of isn't a, isn't a, in any way to demean all the people, the good people who are trying to come through, but just the sheer numbers of it tell you all you need is 1% or 2% or 3%. And you're talking thousands and thousands of people uh, that are not good people and don't, don't mean to do well here. Uh, they mean to do harm. They mean to sell drugs. They need gang life, et cetera, et cetera. Terrorist activity. They're, they're going to come through. Um, you were also up, Paul, in Chicago, and you saw the impact up there. Tell me a little bit about what you saw there uh, and how the migrant crisis is impacting even a city as far away from the border, the southern border as Chicago. Yeah, if you happen to remember, Dan, over the holidays, Chicago was getting bust uh, one after another from Texas up to the Chicago area. And I had the opportunity to go to a migrant ministry that was there through the Catholic diocese there, as well as visit an evangelical church, which also has a high uh, Hispanic population, to find out what they're doing and how they're handling the influx. So there's sort of three levels here. These ministries are obviously stepping in because we all know these are human beings, regardless of their motives, regardless of their needs, they're human beings that need to be cared for, and the city simply can't absorb that. So uh, these churches, which are largely Catholic, given the population that's coming through, have opened their doors to feed, to clothe, and we visited a migrant ministry to see what's going on. And I had the opportunity to actually interview by an interpreter, uh, one of the migrants that came up there illegally uh, from Venezuela. And as we know, Mexico is becoming a smaller population, while the rest of Central South America is larger. Now we're hearing China, which is a whole other discussion and reason mm -hmm. for caution. But this Venezuelan, and he said he was an attorney for Venezuela, but then he got sideways with the government there, who we all know, a very bad dictatorship situation. 
And he said that his concern equally to ours is that if we don't get a handle, the United States, on how to get these people working and get them housing, they're going to resort to crime. They got to eat and they have to have a place to live. Right now, these people are in shelters. So to give you an idea, up to this point, since uh, August 2022, Chicago's had about 30,000 migrants get bussed out way. Okay, if you think about that number, well, 30,000, that is 10% of just the number that came over the border in the month of December. And already, Chicago is at a breaking point. The mayor there is pleading for federal help. He's obviously at a standoff and, and very irate with Governor Abbott for shipping these buses up there with migrants without notice. They want to have it coordinated, so much so that they've uh, instilled fines for bus companies and bus drivers that come there unannounced. So what did Governor Abbott do during the holidays is he started that busing the migrants to the suburbs of Chicago and then getting them on the train, the Metro train, which then takes you to their uh, landing zone, if you will, for the city of Chicago. Well, you got to get these people working. You got to get them employed. You got to get them housing. Last I heard, and I need to update this, less than or 1% of all the migrants in Chicago by a local report now have uh, work permits. However, they're up against the 60-day term that they're allowed to be in a shelter in the city, which has already been moved from the end of the year to from to February, and then now moved again until the middle of March. And so the, the city clearly is unable to incorporate the sanctuary city, these people coming in. Obviously, we know the no difference in uh, New York, and there's no difference uh, in, in Denver. That's starting to happen now, too. We're asking for the suburbs to help out for the city of Denver to, to house these people. If you, My thinking here is if you want to be a sanctuary city, you should be prepared for the influx to be a sanctuary city and to say, well, we need an announcement ahead of time. Well, clearly nobody in California, Arizona or Texas gets any sort of a heads up that migrants are crossing the border. Paul Petit, appreciate you being here and explaining and talking about some a lot of the reporting you've been doing, the good reporting on this situation and we'll look forward to more from you soon you bet thanks for having me on all right appreciate paul coming on to explain what he's seeing on the border a lot of interesting stuff there you can check out our full interview in the link uh to to this podcast episode the description there got a link in that description you can click on that check out that full conversation i had with paul petit from cbn all right that's going to leave us with time on this friday junior edition of the Quick Start Podcast for one last thing. Isaiah 40, 31, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. A lot of us are looking to renew our strength and we're told in scripture where we can go to do that. Yeah, I think so often we're looking to the wrong things, myself included, right? I go to all these other things to distract me from stressors and just difficult things in life. But we have to go to the ultimate source, right? Go to the Lord for hope and for strength and for peace. Yeah, absolutely. And look, this implies, too, that you're going to be weary. I think as Christians know, every Christian has experienced weariness, a season of just being tired. And uh, this is where you look to renew that strength. So good reminder there, good verse. And a good spot to leave it on this Friday Junior edition of the podcast. Don't forget to get on over to CBNNews.com and FaithWire.com for more news from a Christian perspective. Lord willing, and that creek don't rise on us. We shall return tomorrow with more. God bless. See you then.